I'm Sylvia Das, and welcome to my Reinvision Health podcast, where we explore the intersection of health technology and data. Today, we're going to be talking to Renisha Johnson and Rima Calloway, known as the Vegan Hood Chefs. The Vegan Hood Chefs use their culinary work to exercise their mission to provide nutrition education and healthy vegan food to disenfranchised communities. These ladies specialize in turning much of our soul food and American-style favorites into just simply delicious vegan meals. Their passion for community organizing, creativity, and food has led them to launch a food initiative to help fight against food justice and social inequity within the San Francisco community. Welcome, Renisha and Rima. Thank you Thank so you much for having, for having us. us. Happy to be here. So we'll just get right into what you do. And I, I just find your, your whole story very inspirational. Um, what inspired you to even start Vegan Hood Chefs? Ooh, so many different things. One, I would say our, our personal journeys, like I started going vegan when I was, well, the plant-based journey, I would say not vegan entirely, uh, when I was an undergrad and I saw how it basically impacted my health. I was in, during my senior year of my undergrad experience, I was told I had high blood pressure and they were going to put me on pills. And at the time I was like, oh, okay, I started researching and I had another friend who was also on a plant-based diet who talked to me about all the benefits. So I started, you know, getting rid of meat out of my diet slowly but shortly. Um, and then I saw a decrease in my blood pressure along with like working out. And so in the midst of that, you know, Rima and I have been friends since we were in uh, woo, 14 years old. And so she saw me on my journey and decided to be in cahoots <laughs> in just to see how it was. And, you know, after she had that first experience, it was just, I think, you know, she would agree. I don't want to speak for yeah. you, but it's a life-changing experience, you know, for mind, body, and soul. Well, we're going to get back to that in a little bit because, you know, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is like, how do you make changes? And, you know, I mean, here you are in college and I would assume that college probably isn't the, the easiest place to like go to be plant-based right definitely um, in houston where a lot of the the cuisine is fried barbecue all <laughs> like when we went there they had like a fried cauliflower fried uh, black yeah. broccoli so it was a really hard transition for her especially she was out there on her own i mean started her transition along in college so it was really hard yeah yeah. Also, the app. We were also once we got back here to the Bay Area because we we're originally from Baby Hearns Point, San Francisco. We started organizing heavily in our communities, and we, you know, as we were talking about the many ways in which the war is waged against Black folks, in particular in San Francisco, um, we were introduced to the conversation around food justice, and so worked on many projects um, in our community around highlighting nutrition and how that affects, you know, our our health, and in particular, the health of Black folks. And we both take care of our grandmothers. That's another thing that we have in common, mm. who both suffer from illnesses that we have always been taught in our community. Like Amy always says, the rhetoric in our community is that, oh, this runs in your family. Or they'll say, girl, you know, cancer, diabetes runs yeah. in your family. When really, like, there's a larger conversation to be had around our food choices and, and the access. lack of access mm -hmm. um, that you'll see in our community in particular, but Black communities all throughout the, the, the world or the U.S in general. Why don't you explain what's your definition of food justice? Ooh, you want to take one? Um, <laughs> I think just having access, like being able to go to a grocery store in your community where you could have access to fresh fruits and produce, being able to not be forced McDonald's and Burger King and all these different food chains that are present, specifically here in Bayview, at a point in time, Third Street had about five fast food restaurants yeah. that folks were able to, who patronized a lot because of the lack of produce that were available, whether it was at Fulco, the quality is not really good, or like even at the, the liquor stores. And some of the things that Ranisha talked about was um, the food initiatives we were working on. And during that time, we were working with the Department of Public Health to make food, fresh fruits and produce available to the community 
from the, the corner store. So you would go into corner stores and not have options, not have apples, not have oranges, and just have, what is it, like yeah, chips and soda. And so through the process with the Bayview Hill Zone, we were able to work to redevelop some of the corner stores in the community, such as Lee's, Ford's, and Kennedy's, mm-hmm. to offer some of that fresh fruit produce and not market, you know, because we I, we learned in some of the work that we were doing is that the food industry directly markets unhealthy produce, unhealthy food options to black, to black children, black people. Like McDonald's, uh, Black History Month commercials oh, and the music, yeah. having the black people, like that's a d- direct target to our, our communities. communities. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this link between poverty, right? And also access. And I think if we only know what's around us and it's also made in a way where it's affordable, um, I think that's also a piece of access as well too. Like we have to make healthy food affordable for our people, not just make it available, but also affordable Mm -hmm. for folks and I think there's also a cultural lens to it as well too like when we think about food practices and you know African communities or communities of the diaspora food has always been a sacred process where we look at not just the food that we're eating but the process from the food being grown all the way to the table and so it's not just about being vegan but I think there's a sustainability piece around justice as well too meaning like I know from my experience, we've been cut off from that Mm -hmm. process. Whereas like my grandmother will talk about her experience growing up in Louisiana and growing her own food, X, Y, and Z. And I think there's a sense of ownership that comes from that and a cultural lens that we are, you know, removed from blatantly that is a part of our culture. So when you say veganism now or plant-based foods, people will say, oh, that's white or this, or, you know, that's not in the black community. Black people eat meat, but black people also use plants. We also were stewards. And if we grow our own food, that's also a way that we fight back injustice as well, too, um, especially thinking about Corona. But right. yeah, so I think there's these different elements. There's yeah. access, and then there's, you know, our culture, that cultural piece that also is very, very tied in and linked to access as well, too. So that that's big, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, you've talked about culture, you've talked about infrastructure, you know, this marketing that's going on from our food industry. I mean, this is big. Let me step back. When you came back from Texas, (laughs) from school, and you're focused on plant-based, and you get Rima focused on plant-based, right? How did you guys get connected with what was needed and what's going on and, and what do you need to know? And I mean, how did you even start? Because that's a it's a lot of information. Just how'd you get started? Right. Yeah, I think. It is a lot of information and you can get, now there's so many documentaries, you can get stuck, you know, binging. You know? <laughs> right. but I think the biggest thing is just make starting somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, have, I didn't immediately jump from, you know, eating meat and eating beef and eating chicken to just automatically eating full plant-based in like one day or even one month. It actually was a, a year's worth of process before I completely transitioned and I think the biggest thing is just having a desire to want to start somewhere and recognizing that you can do what you can, you know? And so those very small things make a difference. So like increasing your water intake, eating foods or knowing what foods to eat or knowing how to shop, I think are some very, very small things that I focused on really, really early on. And if I can continue to focus on those small things, those became habitual and then I can add on. And so I, I started cutting out red meat first and then I went from red meat to cutting out just chicken, you know, and also dairy, and then to um, just eating mm-hmm. fish. And so that was over a period of like three or four years before wow. I completely went all the way vegan. And that was super helpful for me just in my transition of being able to master one thing and move on to the other rather than feeling like, okay, I need to just eat plants all <laughs> one day. Well, you know, which is hard coming from a black family. You know, our family gets together around food. So I would go places and you know, <laughs> well, a lot of people don't know how to, how to handle it. You know, right. you're coming over for dinner or whatever. And it's like, oh, you're vegan. Yeah. yeah. We got some, what do I do with that? For you. Or some, some lettuce. Like, yeah. Vegan vegan than that. yeah. Well, and I, I go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Okay. I think also just having like accountability and partners. We yeah. use a lot of social media to hold each other accountable so we would do like challenges 
what do you awesome. drink today? And we would post pictures of our water and try to jazz it up and put spot like fruit in it. Um, I think for me, it I my transition was completely different because I was like pes I went pescatarian for a little bit. And in the beginning, I was struggling because, you know, living in a household without other vegans was hard. But yeah. I think the ability to listen to your body really made me kind of focus more on changing the way that I was eating. Because after doing the fast with Ranisha, I tried to like reincorporate meat into my diet and I got sick. Um, and it it was, yeah. And so like I had to pay attention to my body and telling me like, nah, you don't need to eat this. And I think that was something that pushed me to continue to on my journey of eating better. And, and I think that is like, that's important, you know, listening to yourselves. Yeah. And that's key because I think a lot of people think the process is linear and it's not. There was times where, you know, I was completely plant-based for months and then a point in time where like I would start eating meat again. But again, like being able to recognize how my body felt and reacted, that felt a lot better than feeling like, okay, it's just, you know, like, this is just something that I'm doing. I was making that mind-body connection. So now mm -hmm. I know when I eat this, which I feel like is more important than the labels themselves, right? It's just really like making that connection between what you eat and how your body feels. And with being diagnosed with or potentially diagnosed with hypertension, talk to us about that journey. You know, I mean, you started to go plant-based. What did you actually notice? Because I assume you're measuring your blood pressure the whole time. To be honest, I, I was, you know, in school and really, really stressed out. And so I wasn't really measuring my blood pressure. <laughs> I think a lot of that has just lack of education, honestly. It was like, you know, I was in college. I had never experienced this at all. Probably one of the most fun, but also most stressful experiences in my life, being far away from home and on my own, figuring things out. This is like the first time I probably went to the doctor on my own, using my own insurance, you know, so it was a lot of first. I was really, really young. I had to be like, what? 19 you know um and I you know I think I walked into the doctor's office it was super super scared you know I remember having like being really short of breath and really really tired and fatigued um out of the ordinary and they were like well you know your blood pressure is super super high and you know we're gonna prescribe you these blood pressure periods because we feel like you know, if you don't take them X, Y, and Z, and that was all that they did, you know, on campus. And, you know, from then I had talked to my friend who, I, you know, who also um, was going plant-based, just started doing research because it, I just knew from my personal experience with watching my grandmother take high blood pressure medication and, you know, her experiences that, that, that there were other alternative routes. And so I just started doing my own research and I ran into, along with my friends supporting me that, you know, plant-based helps to reduce, uh, you know, hypertension. And so I just uh -huh. started working on it. I'm more of a, a doer. So I'm like, let me figure out another alternative <laughs> rather than going this route. I, didn't, I, didn't, I never even went to go pick up the prescription. So that's kind of my personality a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I never went to go pick up the prescription. I was like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to go down this road at all. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, did you tell them you're not going to take that prescription yet? No, but I can imagine what their response would, would have been. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've been in that situation where you have to say, no, I'm not taking that right now. I want to explore something else. Yeah. But it is. It, it, you have to work up to it. You have, you have to work up to that amount of confidence because you just have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just remember being really, really scared, though. I was like, what? You know, at 19, I'm like, my whole life's ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. You know? But it's fearful, you know, being by yourself and hearing that information. And again, like, I think I was thinking about it from a more traumatic space of, you know, thinking about my grandmother and all that she had to experience. And um, I was like, oh, I just, I don't want this at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. So yeah. when you came back to San Francisco and both of you guys are working in Bayview and, you know, you, you, you talked about those fast food places and now I think about it and I've lived here about 25 years, but something that was different about San Francisco than LA at the time was that the fast food was on Bayview. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't, it, it wasn't that easy to find it other places in the city, but you know, if I went at Burger King or McDonald's or I think there's a Carl's Jr. down there, it was, it was on that strip. Yeah. And, and go ahead. No, I was just saying like in like in the Department of Public Health, they were considering it like the T line. 
um, and not the T train line, but like the areas of San Francisco where folks have bad access to healthy to foods, mm. as well as like the soda industry that was pushing. And so that T line was all the way from Third Street and then areas in, what is that, Treasure Island? Yeah. Those are all of the communities where Black folks are predominantly at. And so the correlation between Big Soda's like direct attack on Black communities and us not having access to fresh foods was like in correlation with each other. Yeah. And then when you look at baby, you see there's high rates of hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, diabetes, cancer. And you know, some of it is is just convenience too, because if you're hungry and you didn't plan and you don't have stuff, you run to what's convenient, to what's around you. And what's affordable too, you know? Like I even think even now as part of the larger fight, but when you walk into... You know, we probably have, we have food code and super save. It's so much easier to go to McDonald's and just get one, uh, you know, we're not a dollar anymore, but they were. (laughs) 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 Right? You know, get a hamburger really quickly, especially if you work, you know, a very, very long shift or you are also a college student and you, you know, you've commuted Mm -hmm. uh, to just pick up something versus like having to go to the grocery store and, you know, come home and cook a meal, you know, for a family, be a single person. And so I definitely do think the convenience of it uh, plays a huge factor in our community as well, too. Yeah. How, how, you know, you mentioned getting these corner markets to actually carry vegetables. How open, how receptive were they to do that? Ooh, (laughs) they really were. So some of them were, um, specifically the three that we were working with. Yeah. But like a part of my job also was to go and like rate how many things that they offer. Like, do they offer a hundred percent juice and all these different things? And I was like getting kicked out of the stores. So some of the stores were not aligned with it. They didn't want to, um, hmm. didn't want to, um, like not sell soda. They didn't want to offer fresh fruits and vegetables. So it was really, it was really interesting, honestly, to see that. But the, but so happened that the stores that we did work with, um, they, they were really interested. And what happened was once they signed on to the project, they were actually met with like a contractor and they kind of redesigned the whole store. So not only did they offer fruit, fresh fruits, they got an uplift from their store. So, um, and part of that was to make sure that all of the healthy items were eye, eye level. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if the other places didn't want to have regulation or didn't want folks to come in and have like control and taken over the stores I don't know but it was just really interesting to see that some of the stores didn't even want me to come in or like you know it was interesting yeah yeah so do you see that process continuing in that area or other areas well I know that after because this was the pilot so it was launched by three Bayview residents and two of them were long time we're from Bayview. And so after that, the city took it over and started converting different stores across the city. So there's actually more um, corner stores in Lakeview. There's a market. And in the Tenderloin, they have several stores that they have redeveloped. So it has taken over and a lot of folks, a lot of the store owners are starting to offer uh, fresh fruits and produce. There has been a ripple effect in access in our communities now too, because we in Bayview for years have housed the San Francisco wholesale produce market Mm -hmm. who at one point didn't service the community in the way that they're servicing them now. Um, Meaning there are several produce uh, wholesale suppliers, um, but now that they have, you know, more, I would say better relationships with, some of the markets, but also community agencies where they're doing deliveries. Like at my day job, <laughs> they help to fund our uh, our produce program for our youth, which I think is a you know a ripple effect from the work that was done um, in Hill Zone. We're really just kind of starting the conversation around what nutrition looks like in our communities, along with like a revamp of looking at nutrition within the schools too. So I know mm-hmm. that they revamped all of the the school meals to now be uh, from a healthier um, um, provider. Um, they don't taste all that good. I'm going to keep it real, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not you guys. <laughs> you know, 
you know, I definitely think there could be some improvement. I'm like, this is supposed to be healthy. It don't look good. Like, I think it's cook, you know? Yeah, I was yeah. good. <laughs> OG mac and cheese yeah. over this. Like, I definitely think that, you know, there could be, uh, there's definitely more work to do, but I will say that there has been a lot of work done in our community for sure. And that's a big piece of it is how it tastes and how it looks. Yes. Now, how did you two get into actually being chefs? Right. <laughs> so, so we, you know, when we came back home and started the plant-based journey, we just created the Instagram page called the Vegan Hood Chefs. It was when Instagram was like first popping when it first came out, <laughs> and so you know everybody was. I we were like, okay, well, let's figure out a way to share what we're doing with our our family and our community to like destigmatize it, um, and. From that, one of our friends was actually, who's also plant-based, was having a lecture event and one of her chefs, shout out to Breezy, um, mm -hmm. one of her um, her chef backed out at the last minute and she was like, I know y'all not professional chefs, but we have this event this weekend. Can, I, I know y'all fool is good. Like, can you please cook for us? And so for our first event, my at the time too, we had another partner um, who was also my cousin, shout out to Tati. She had went to culinary school. And so I was like, okay, we could do it. You know, like, come on, let's right. do it, girl. She's like, all right. So we ended up cooking for about 200 people. Wow. Our first event and sold out. And ever since then, it's just been going. Going. <laughs> like, you know, like, man, Essence has really have been looking out. And we always like to say the community chose us because we consider ourselves a needs-based business because the business just, it really honestly has grown into something that we wouldn't even have dreamed of or even thought we would be doing, like, we both community organizers, but I'm also, you know, a social worker. So like, yeah. I didn't, I went to school for that. I was not, I didn't go to school <laughs> to be a chef. I, I worked in a, a restaurant what, for two weeks. And quit. Was <laughs> and hated it. So. Quit. Oh wow, two hundred people. Yeah. Yes. You guys, that that in itself is inspirational. Right. Tell us about your food. Like, what makes your food unique? What makes it special? Besides, it just tastes good. But what do you guys do? Well, I think one is we're 100% plant-based. So there's a lot of, like, veganism, is, as it's becoming very popular, they have a lot of, like, fast food vegan models and folks that are popping up selling, like, Beyond Meats and different modified meat substitutes. Mm -hmm. And we like to use plants. So like anything that is like, like mushrooms, we use a lot of mushrooms. We use a lot of um, like jackfruit as our chicken. Oh. And we just figure out a way to kind of flip it up, but then also use some of our like grandma's recipes and things that we used to eat growing up. And we kind of make it, yeah, we make it, we make mac and cheese. Like we would eat when we were younger, but we use it without milk. And so like, I think our ability to change or use what we are used to and flip it into this like vegan cuisine, I think is something that is super unique. Mm -hmm. um, and being very intentional on the products and the ingredients that we use to make each dish. Yeah. And I think our food has a lot of love in it. Like I, I would like to think that when you yeah. eat it, you can taste the intentionality behind it as well too, you know? And I think there's levels to what we do. Like we have the, which I feel like is the awesome part about being caterers and also being a pop-up kitchen is that we have also developed our skills over the years, being able to not just be married to like one menu had we like just jumped into opening a restaurant and that has helped us develop like our taste mm -hmm. and like we travel a lot as well too and so like just thinking about the diasporic piece as well too like when we went to jamaica is where we really seen the jackfruit yeah. whole right and that super inspired yeah. us to figure out different ways that we can incorporate and also connect our people around that cultural piece as well too and so i think our food i would say is a conversation starter um and it's also familiar for people and that's super important because a lot of times when people think of plants again there's heck of stigma and so like, if you say things again, like what Amy said that they recognize, um, like we want people from our community and particularly the hood to feel comfortable eating our food, you know? Um, and the vegan movement has been gentrified <laughs> in, a, in a lot of different ways. And I think if there wasn't space for us to transition, we wouldn't be where we are. And so like just recognizing that, that we have 
so many things that we cook on the spectrum. So like the alkaline, we have alkaline recipes. We have like the salad-based recipes. We have the more comfort food recipes that we do, the juices. Um, whereas other people may be like, we're all over the place, but really like we trying to serve, we service in our community and that's a representation of what people say they need, um, which I think it's a shift. Yeah. What are some of the questions you get from people? Is this chicken? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Cause they didn't know. (laughs) Um, What are some of the other questions that people ask? People always ask, is it real? Like we make this uh, vegan, well, this vegan shrimp that we use is made out of konjac root. Um, And people are always like, you sure it is not real? It's not real shrimp. Or they they do ask us what we season our food with too. Mm -hmm. Cause I think there's an assumption that because it's plant-based that it's not going to be seasoned well. And that's the Mm -hmm. whole point, you know, like we want to show people. I know, there is. And there's a black seasoning uh, company that we use uh, uh, called Kayla Blancs, and she's awesome. Um, and so, you know, like people ask a lot about the flavor. They ask us when we go to the restaurant. Yeah, where can I find you? <laughs> where are you all located? Or yeah, how did the how to transition is another question yeah. we always get. Like, where did we start? Because we we have a lot of people who patronize our business who are not vegan. vegan. Mm-hmm. But they're interested in being vegan. And so they ask, like, where to start or how do you start? Mm-hmm. What type of challenges do you get from people? I don't think we get challenges. But as Black women in this field that is underrepresented, we do see, like, some of the, like, what is it called? Like, hmm, what is it called? Like, it you we feel some of like like what it means to be like that some of the hardships that black women have come entering into this um industry yeah but um i think that just gives us more fuel to want to fight more (laughs) but i don't think we get challenges from other from other it'll be more like on an individual thing like the gluten-free thing is a huge thing we don't see that and we're starting to see it more amongst the african-american community Mm -hmm. um but like people always ask us to make gluten-free stuff, but not any like real challenges more so than I would say from a not individual people, but more from a business aspect. Again, like what Rima said, just being underrepresented in the industry. And like, we really have a passion for cooking food and it has grown a lot. And so trying to find that mentorship or representation um, has been super, super important for us. Um, And I think because now in the age that we live in, um there's social media and social media has really allowed our platform to develop but we don't have any like real professional training we didn't go to school to be chefs so we're kind of self-proclaimed and i think there's this kind of sometimes we get little homie (laughs) (laughs) and no because i think there's a there's a definite respect for the art and the time that people have put in and the work whereas like in the traditional kitchen you know you start somewhere and you have to work your way up to calling yourself a chef that's an honor that we respect as well Mm -hmm. too but I think what we're also doing is something that is important for our community too and like how do we recognize both and not take away from it you know and so I think that may be some of the things that we recognize like just in the kitchen industry behind the scenes around trying to you know make our mark in the industry um and connect with people um, and also on the business yeah. aspect too, just funding and capital, you know, like I think just in communities access. of color in general, having access or even understanding the food business is something we have to really figure out our own. Now we, you know, have had the privilege to connect with other folks like Chef Mimi and Dante Ball, who are also black chefs who support us a lot, but like a lot in the early stages, we have to figure this yeah. stuff out on our own mm-hmm. around the rest, like how to how do you, you know, just imagine like yeah. cooking at home and then doing an event and then trying to figure out how to, how to yeah. <laughs> turn it into a business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot we had to learn along the way, for sure. Yeah, you have to believe it. And it sounds like you guys have a pretty solid mission and and something that's, that's very, I don't know, what, what do you call it, intuitive and it's just part of, it's part of you as Black women, you know, and so I think, you know, I, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm like, well, God, you're, you're sticking right around that, which is actually beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's beautiful. So talk to me about your grandmothers, because your grandmothers weren't brought up vegan, I, I'm assuming. 
No. no. <laughs> it's a struggle now. <laughs> my grandma eats everything too. She we grew up eating frog legs oh and she Baton Rouge. So alligator, pig yeah. ears, all of that type of stuff. Hoghead cheese. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I will will say. Um, she was my first uh, introduction into the kitchen, you know, and so like I, I would say that, you know, she taught me the basics of like, you know, cleanliness and like how to cook and how to boil, you know, rice yeah. and all those staples. And I, I, that was a very, very sacred um, experience for me and my grandmother as well, too, because, you know, I really enjoyed it and she would share stories with me, you know, and so um yeah, so I, I I definitely appreciate her for that. I appreciate her for that. Yeah, my grandma, she taught me. I just remember baking in the kitchen with her yeah. and like rolling out the dough with this. She used to use like this glass bottle. Uh-huh. It looked like she had it for years and like just making the dough and tasting. And also with my mom, like both of them, the experience for me in the kitchen, I was always the guinea pig. And they're like, try this. What does it need? Da, 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 da. So I'm finding that 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 they were training me for this moment because even when we're in the kitchen, I'm always like, oh, this could put this. I could put some more of this in it. This tastes like that. So it was like developing my taste buds in a way. Um, and it's just so funny because now my grandmother she doesn't cook, and so like and like like Ranisha said, our grandmas would they eat everything, and so I'd be trying to sneak in some vegan meals and like. Let me make this Mardi Gras pasta for you, Grandma. And some days she likes it, and sometimes she's like, "What is this?" It's good. And then other days she's like, "Oh." So one day I made like a um, sweet potato pasta. Yeah. And she tore it up, and she had to call me on the phone and tell me that it was delicious. <laughs> so some days I win, some days I don't. But I think more than anything, I've been introducing a lot of healthier options into her diet yeah yeah i think that they also taught us resiliency in the kitchen as well too that i think you know like people again think veganism is super expensive well it can be if you're eating all the alternative stuff but like just being able to take a little bit of what you got and turn it into mm-hmm. something you know amazing yeah. Yeah, I think I learned that from my grandmother as well too, because we didn't have a lot of money, you know, growing up, and so like she would take hot dogs and ramen noodles, whatever we had, and make a masterpiece out of it. Why? What? What it felt like for me then, you know? And I think we try to think about that as well too, and and when we cook as well. Yes, that resiliency and and this kind of courage, you know, not being scared to mess up or to just try something and see what happens with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a core, I think, to to any kind of to, to really get into cooking. It kind of is kind of a core. Um, I just want to ask a couple more questions, really, around the food, because one of the questions you know I hear often is, "Hey, but am I going to get enough protein?" Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? I'm sure you've heard it. Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> So many of the sources that you can receive protein from are also plants as well, too. So, you know, so like legumes, beans have really, really high levels of protein, you know, yeah, lentils. There's also a lot of leafy greens that will help support protein. And a lot of times we talk about protein deficiency, I think, because, again, that's conversation. That's what we see floating. But a lot of us aren't really protein deficient. We're more mineral deficient than anything. And so, like being able to eat and also dehydrated. A lot of us aren't drinking enough water. And so it's like, most folks are concerned about protein, but we should be making sure that we're eating, you know, um, more uh, greens that will help um, our bodies develop, you know, the minerals that we need, like iron and zinc. Um, And then also uh, a lot of foods that carry a lot of water. So like cucumbers and watermelons and fruits, like all of that is super, super important. And you'll see that across in particular in our community, African-American communities a lot. Um, but everybody talks about protein. We're just like, are you even really protein deficient? You know, um, but you can definitely get protein from a lot of, of, of the vegetables and, and also, you know, other plant-based foods too. Yeah, and 
you know, maybe just trying to be more plant-based. And, and why don't you explain the difference between plant-based and vegan? Yeah. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. So plant-based is more of like eating vegetables, <laughs> like eating <laughs> vegetables. And veganism is uh, not having any um, plant, uh, any animal produce, uh, Mm -hmm. animal content like honey is not considered vegan butter milk and cheese eliminating all of that and sticking more to a plant-based diet mm -hmm. and what that looks like is like legumes grains uh spinach kale and eating more of those uh those those vegetables mm -hmm. but then also they have other like meat alternatives that are considered vegan but um, we kind of stay away from those because we don't know what the outcome will be because they're made in the lab. Mm -hmm. And so um, we like to encourage our, our, our followers to eat more like fresh fruits and produce. Yeah. Okay. okay. Just kind of eating from the lamb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Straight yeah. from the because you get the nutrients that are that come straight from the, from source. the source right but if it's you know any processed food really like especially a lot of the other stuff i feel like it's tasty so we use minimal amounts of it but like you know if it's it's the difference between like having um someone put the they're mocking the new the actual uh, nutrients in the lab and so you're not going to get the same benefits that you would get if you would just eat, eat what comes plant. from the ground yeah. absolutely not going to nourish their body in the same kind of way it's like now why it's so hard to find seeded watermelons. We like, we don't want this seedless. <laughs> you can't find amazing. You can't find a seeded watermelon nowhere. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And I grew up on seeded watermelons. <laughs> right. Part of the experience. Right. But also the nutrients, up. you know? Like mm -hmm. there's a on um one of the documentaries, I think it's called What's the Health? they talk about they try to make it in a way for folks to understand what is going on and they're like the animal eats the protein and then you eat the animal but the animal has already digested all of the nutrients out right it's uh -huh. so like ranisha said it's like by me picking up a piece of kale with which is what a um a, not a dog a, a cow <laughs> made, right and yeah. i'm eating that so i'm getting all of the benefits without having that cow process my food so when we tell people that, or people hear that in the documentary and like, they call me like, girl, did you No, I'm like, yes, that's why we tell you to eat from the source. And the same thing with like with flavor too, you know, given that I do know certain meat adds a flavor that we may be a, accustomed to, but like yeah. people don't eat raw meat. So you are actually seasoning your food with herbs, vegetables, you know, that come yeah. from and if you do or replicate those same processes with vegetables you know you can definitely still capture some of the essence of the flavor right like that smokiness mm -hmm. that like all also with the process and how you cook it as well too yeah just kind of try it right yeah. and it's yeah. also dope because a lot of the the food that we eat or like herbs that we use all have healing properties so like not only are you flavoring your food you're eating this and it's like healing you. Mm -hmm. I think that's important too. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, there's just so many positives. You know, it's just so many positives. So tell us about the business side of Vegan Hood Chefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it is exciting. Um, it is hard. Mm -hmm. It's time consuming, challenging, challenging, but in a good way, like it's rewarding. Yes. Yeah, very, very rewarding. Like I was just telling my, I don't know what it's like to sell drugs, but I was just telling my, <laughs> <laughs> that's the analogy that I'm, I'm going to use. And I more so just kind of like you get a high because you're creating something, maybe not selling drugs, but you create something it's and you're giving demand. it to the community. And then to see someone's like the direct impact that they get as soon as they taste it, like it, 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 it feels really, really good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think for me, it, like Ranisha said, it's super exciting to see that, but then also to hear the stories from folks. And I like the wow factor mm -hmm. for me, if I eat something, my thing is it has to taste good. If it doesn't taste good, mm, you might not see me again. And so like having these people come try the food and then watching their reactions and like 
one, like just last week, we did a, a private catering dinner. And after every dish we sent out, this young man kept coming to us and was like, what was that? Like, oh, <laughs> here out doing yourself. Like, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. Like, you eat vegan. And then we pop some uh, jackfruit or cauliflower in their mouth. And they're like, oh my God, that was amazing. And surprisingly, that was one of the best, uh, like, fast, like they tore it up, like, you know. And so just to see that, I think it brings some excitement for me because I like to eat and I like to share that joy of, of having a delicious meal. And that's something you will talk about for years. Mm-hmm. Because of the business and being out, folks are recognizing us. And I was like in the grocery, I was at the mall actually in Daly City. And this lady stopped me and she was like, oh my God, you the vegan hood chef. <laughs> yeah. How lovely is that? And she was like, I had your food four years ago at 415 day and it was delicious I was like dang four years ago so like just to see that impact of like the food that and the flavors that we're able to bring out in our dishes I think is rewarding in itself mm-hmm. and I, for the business side for us I think the like the business business aspect for us it has been a learning experience because we come from a community organizing model having to shift our mindset and recognizing how do we merge those aspects of like coming from you know um yeah community model to like being a for-profit business Mm -hmm. whereas like our representations of what for-profit profit businesses have been like have kind of been slim and may not necessarily have included that aspect and so i think the positive thing around us is that we get to we have developed our business model extremely slow you know Mm -hmm. like we started really kind of selling meals before we had an LLC, which we shouldn't have been doing. But just that speaking of that process has allowed us to really kind of grow and develop our business with integrity in many different ways. Like we've been also able to create a team. Um, so we, you know, it's still a very, very small team, but recognizing that we can't do everything on our own was something we had to learn through the process. Uh, we were trying to cook. We were trying to run our social media. We still be trying to do everything. Yeah. People uh wonderful you know black majority black women who also work with us who help us and have helped us grow into where we are now which i feel like was a huge learning lesson for us from the business side Mm. i think on another business aspect is like just being able to um uh, what was i about to say i just lost my train of thought (laughs) (laughs) i have to say not only the team (laughs) the fact that we're able to create opportunity for our families and friends yeah so majority of the folks that work for us we know them and we are able to like pay them and I think that's something that's rewarding it's like you are able to like if you have a friend like our friends who need support or you know they're could work and we have that opportunity to to help them, you know, provide for their families. I think that's something that's beautiful too. Yeah. And it's been empowering in the process because we have held these different hats and built this business from the ground up that we've learned so much. So there's like pieces of accounting that we had to figure out that we necessarily have a skill set on. Like, you know, we are now connected to the office of small business, but before that we had to figure out how to file all the paperwork. Uh We we found out you got to pay $800 just to have a business Uh (laughs) as an LLC, right? (laughs) All those different things were challenges, but they helped us to develop skill sets. So now that we can pass those on to our our other folks, because there are so many people in our community who have talents. Like we know other food businesses in our community that are like so bomb and they're trying to figure out how do they get off the ground. And because we've been through that process, we know um, how to support. And I think our biggest thing now is like moving slow so that we can work towards scaling. Like, I don't remember the exact statistic, but we do a lot of research and we listen to a lot of black business mm-hmm. uh, enterprise podcasts, like earn your leisure, um, reading books, right? Like how to start a business for dummies. Like our mentors gave us a book mm-hmm. around accounting. And I feel like that's super important too, because I learned, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like black women are the fastest growing uh, I've that. businesses yeah. in America and black people in general, but yet, the number of businesses that are actually able to scale to hire one person are very, very slim. So here mm-hmm. we are building these businesses, but we're not able to scale in a way, you know, to really take yeah. up space in our communities or see that revenue come back to us to, uh, to you know, and, you know, practice this group and community economics in a way in which we need, you know? And so 
we're we would love for the vegan hood chefs to be able to scale because we are also creatives right and so there's so many different projects that we have in mind to to help support the community but also support the mission and so like there's this food piece this food truck piece that we're working on now but you know there's there's also this this nonprofit piece that we want to scale into later on um after that's established along with a you know brick and mortar sit down restaurant along with the juice bar with our, our fresh juices and i think we didn't necessarily walk into with that mindset but the more that we've been able to tap into our mentors other business owners uh babies merchants association all these different people in these opportunities is showing us what is capable in the business realm for us and i feel like that's super important for black businesses because yeah. it's it's an example of how you move from survival to thrival you know uh -huh. and like that's i that's what i would like to for us to see our business go yeah well you got the vision right you got to have the vision and you know and there's a benefit i think to actually doing a lot of the figuring out at the um you know when you're getting started because you kind of have an idea like how stuff is supposed to work right makes you i think it just makes you smarter mm -hmm. so tell me if you guys weren't vegan chefs i don't even know if you can think about that right now but <laughs> if you weren't vegan chefs what would you be doing organizing <laughs> yeah. there you go yeah so I currently am a community organizer, well, a trainer. I work for a national training institute called Center for Third World Organizing. Mm -hmm. And we train people of color how to organize around different policies, police and brutality and different things in the community that folks think are wrong. Um, and I also am a caretaker. So I take care of my grandmother and my aunt. Okay. Yeah. For me, um, what would I be doing? I don't know. This opened up another level of passion for me. Like I've been working at my current job for eight years um, and I'm a clinical social worker and that work is super, super important, but it's super taxing. And I think you get to a place to where you get burned out and you aren't, aren't able to tap into the creativity. Um, and I've always been a creative person. Like, I, you know, we used to have a clothing line before we had this business. Um, we, you know, so that like, it has sparked another level of like, well, I would say unlocked another level of creativity um, that just feels fulfilling in my spirit to where I want to figure out how do I tie in my, um, my clinical work, even into the cooking or even into the art aspect. And so I think that's, you know, it has unlocked what healing looks like for me in our community. It doesn't necessarily need to be just talk therapy, which I think, you know, we're revolutionizing like, Healing looks like our everyday practices, so like eating healthier, working mm -hmm. out. I'm really passionate about working out and exercising too. So I, I would be, I would have, you know, my little center where we'd be cooking, we'd be working <laughs> out, we'd be. I like it. So you know, and and really working through any kind of health challenges or just keeping yourself healthy, you just tie back into your mission. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's awesome. All right, so we're coming to the end. And at the end of each podcast, I like to um, leave listeners with one thing that they can do to move forward and be you know, more aligned with their health. So this is the question for you too. What is the one thing that you would suggest we can do today to start becoming aware of the ways that we can move towards veganism? Mm. I would say one, oh, you said one thing. Well, it can be, it can be one from each. Well, one from each of you. <laughs> um, I would say add more veggies to your plate. Okay. And let, uh, limit some of the meat. For me, I would say think about changes as a lifestyle shift. Meaning like, you know, I think, yeah, we live in a 30 day culture. We're like, oh, we're going to do this as a challenge. But if you develop or adopt wellness as like a lifestyle mission or shift, everything else, whether it be veganism, whether it be, you know, you just want to cut down on X, Y, and Z, or you want to meditate, all of that, I feel like will fall under whatever your direct relationship is to just making that shift from in your mindset to like just wanting to live better and do better. And yes. don't give up. <laughs> okay, that's three. 
<laughs> that is excellent. Now, if we want some information on you guys, and I will also post this on my website, but where are some places we can find you? Um, we are on all social media under the Vegan Hood Chefs, except Twitter. We're under there as Vegan Hood Chefs. Um, if you go to www.theveganhoodchefs.com, you can find out how to book us for catering. You could also um, find out how to pre-order because every week we are doing um, Sunday deliveries and we deliver throughout Oakland, San Francisco, Richmond, and San Leandro. Okay. Pacifica, Pacifica. Nowhere, you name it. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere. And then also we are actually, um, we have a capital campaign where we are fundraising for a food truck. So if anybody feels inclined to donate, um, you could go to our uh, GoFundMe Go page or go to GoFundMe and type in the Vegan Hood Chefs and you can help donate to us for our, so we could get a food truck and we could start oh. being coming to a city near you. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for so much for the conversation. You know, it's, I, it's inspiring on a couple of levels. You know, for me, it's just inspiring on a health level and just to hear like two young women, two young black women, like pulling this together. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. We appreciate you. Yeah, then in your platform to uplift our voices. Thank you. Okay, we you will be able to get any of the notes and, and anything that they've mentioned, I'm going to post on the website and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening today. This podcast was edited by Terrence of 1015. That's com. Notes for this podcast, as well as any websites and links that were mentioned today, can be found at reenvisionhealth.com. And please, if you liked what you heard, be sure to share this podcast or tell a friend.